The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. The UCAP gang, along with a few hundred thousand of their closest friends, have gathered together at Whitman Field for the 2007 edition of the ultimate in hangar flying, Air Venture Oshkosh. It's only the first day, but already things are hopping. There are jets doing flybys, new airplanes being introduced, and the lineys in the cooler. So climb in, buckle up, and hang on. It's Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 39. Welcome to Oshkosh. Welcome to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast, episode number 39. We're recording the podcast today on location from the flight line of AirVenture Oshkosh. We're in the studios of our hosts, EAA Radio, and we want to thank them, and we're going to talk to them, talk about them and with them in a little bit. But uh, EAA Radio is located out in the heart of the AirVenture flight line. This building that we're in is actually the one very closest to the air show runway here at Whitman Field. So uh, let me set the scene for you here. The daily air show has just finished here this afternoon, and now uh, about a quarter mile away there is a Beach Boys concert going on. If it wasn't for the concert, we'd be out on EA Radio's deck overlooking the runway uh, and uh, also overlooking the home-built parking areas. Uh, but we're inside here to kind of keep us from hearing an hour's worth of Bar Barbaran. Uh, we've uh, got an expanded version of the UCAP gang here, and for the next hour or so, we're going to be chatting about what's, being, what's been going on so far. So let me introduce the folks who are here in the virtual hangar right now. Uh, to our regular listeners, this may sound a little bit different, but today we're all wearing our Oshkosh personas. So uh, with us in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is the managing editor of AirVenture Today, the EAA daily newspaper here at the show. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? Hi, Jack. I'm fine. Good afternoon, and good afternoon to all of our listeners out there. Uh, it's a great show so far, first day, but uh, so far, so good. Yeah. And Dave Higdon is a senior photographer at AirVenture Today. You're going to see a theme here uh, at AirVenture Today. How you doing, Dave? So far, so far. It's been great fun, good weather, sunshine, lots and lots of airplanes, lots of airplane noise, kerosene, avgas, round engine oil. It's got everything. It's, that's what we're here for. That's right. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I write a column for AirVenture Today called Around the Field. Also with us, uh, Amy Loboda, who is the editor of Aviation for Women magazine and is also a contributing writer to uh, EAA's Sport Aviation. Hi, Amy. Welcome. How you Thanks. doing? I'm doing good today. Now, Amy's on the verge of losing her mind, I should warn everybody. <laughs> She's had a difficult day, um, but we're going to try and relax her a little bit here in the uh, virtual mind is such Just a terrible teenagers. thing to lose. Just teenagers. Is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and also with us right now is James Winbrandt, who is a staff writer for AirVenture Today. Hi, James. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's fantastic. The show just started already. All sorts of new products we're seeing, innovations, and yeah. more to come. More to come. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, only day one. And uh, also going to join us for a few minutes. He's not in here right now, but uh, is Fareed there? Fareed is here. Fareed is here. Fareed Guillaume is the, uh, I, I call you the co-chair. Is that an accurate title? Yeah, co-station manager will Co-station manager of EA Radio, and yes. we, we want to thank you for having us here. Uh, we're really thrilled to be doing this, and we've been looking to it, forward to it for quite some time. Well, we're happy to have you all here as well, because we're looking to diversify our programming and, and include other voices and have unique programming 
like this, have free-form discussions. This particular time slot, actually, we were developing a, a free-form style last year, and the people that are usually in this slot are not available to Wednesday anyway, so everything worked out. Uh-huh. Wonderful. Well, we hope we won't diversify it too far here. We're a little bit off the beaten path, but, uh, but we'll see what we're going to do. So tell us a little about the history of, of EA Radio. Well, certainly the modern version of EA Radio began at 95 or 96 myself, Digital Dave, and um, Al Fitz, who was actually only 14 years old at the time, but was born on the flight line here at Oshkosh. Uh, we were told to, uh, a lot of us had Green Gang or EA Communications jobs, and we were told to come down to the public address amplifier room and talk in this little mixer and, and read out of AirVenture today. And we weren't sure exactly where it was going, but uh, someone went out and got interviews. This this one woman went out and interviewed people, and she brought them back on cassette tapes. And, and uh, then we read it. And then the next year, suddenly we had studios in this room, in this particular facility. And we've just added equipment and sophistication as we went on. Mm-hmm. And here we are today with, uh, with a, a very uh, sophisticated radio automation system, computers everywhere, digital editing, a 20 to 25 person staff, and we only operate seven days a year, but it's it's really grown and we really enjoy it. Yeah. Now, in addition to being broadcast on uh, the AM radio frequency, uh, we're also being streamed on the internet, right? Certainly. We are on AM 1210, and then for the second year in a row, 100.7 FM. It's a backup transmitter for my college station and also my co-station manager's college station, uh, the FM transmitter. And those poor guys up there, their uh, FM transmitter uh, had a problem today. Oh, really? And the, the, the director of operations was thinking about flying the transmitter back <laughs> to St. <Saint> Cloud, <laughs> and, but uh, it wouldn't have helped because they didn't have an antenna uh-huh. to to, uh, to rescue the other half of that equation. But yeah, so a lot of this equipment is donated, loaned, whatever. And um, But we're on 100.7 FM, which is the second year in a row. And, of course, the Internet, we've been on since about 1997, 98. We've been streaming on the Internet. And that is actually our biggest listenership, mm-hmm. uh, especially on the other side of the world. If you go to airventure.org, there will be uh, an email page where we'll get about 250 to 300 emails during the convention from mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Well, we thank you for your hospitality. Uh, we've really been looking forward to this. We'll try and leave the place not much worse for the wear. Please do, and uh, we'll see you for your, your next broadcast later in the week. That's right. We'll exactly be back. Exactly right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank for you, for it. You know, so, there's a little bit of nostalgia about being back in this building where yeah. EAA Radio operates because this is the building where Air Venture Today started in 1994. Is that true? I didn't know EAA that. Today. Yeah. That's correct. And uh, the, the the quarters are in much nicer shape now than they were. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, it was, can... and it was last year on the last day of the show in this room where the world premiere of Air Venture Blues was first played. That's right. And what a proud moment that yeah, was. Right. That was right. James and, and Rick Reynolds. Uh, right. And you guys did that. And we, and we actually played that song, that, that recording on uh, an early episode of Uncontrolled Airspace yes. as the tag music. so uh, And I was thrilled to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were thrilled to have it. So what's going on? So uh, we're in day one of the uh, fly-in. Uh, day two, depending on your count, because uh, the uh, the day before is kind of a pretty active right. day, too. But there's been things going on. There's been announcements made. And, uh, you know, why don't we kind of go, go through the group once and kind of everybody point out one thing that you think is notable, and then maybe we'll go around again. So uh, why don't we start up here with Jeb, because he's closest to me. Well, I think the most notable thing and the easiest thing to point to is, uh, uh, I think, the, the, the expanding LSA market. Um, Cessna has confirmed their plans to bring their uh, proposed LSA to market. Uh, also today, uh, Cirrus 
announced uh, they will enter the LSA market with something they call the SRS, which is a, kind of a play on words for the, the, the uh, name of the company. Um, hopefully, we'll have someone in here a little bit later to talk more about that. But I think uh, um, just the, the continuing innovation in aircraft, uh, especially, uh, is is the top story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, the fact that AirVenture is, is evolved over the years to now being a central point for the introduction of not just experimental or ultralight aircraft, but across the range. And as an example, this morning, uh, Eclipse kind of surprised the world by driving up in a, a machine they call the uh, Eclipse Concept Jet. Single engine, four place, big V-tail. Mm-hmm. Big V-tail. Big V-tail. You know, it, uh, very sharp looking. Uh, you can see uh, photos of it on the uh, AirVenture website yep. because we put them up very early today. Uh, cost a lot of buzz, and that was just the first two of the introductions today. And this is still just the first day. And it's still just the first day. Yeah. Okay, look at this. They're pointing. <laughs> Amy and no, James are pointing next. at no, each other. Like, which one should uh, go first? Uh, wh- who should talk? Uh, James, why don't you go first? What's what was interesting here? Well, I, I second all the what we've heard so far, and in the jet category, right after Eclipse came out with theirs, then uh, Epic came out and introduced two brand new jets. One a PJ, a single engine personal jet. Another a VLJ. Uh, both with great performance numbers, and here's a company that has taken a different model. They introduce their aircraft both as experimentals and as soon-to-be certificated production aircraft. They're making money by selling the kits, using that to fund the development, actually generating income, and at the same time getting feedback from all those customers that so they don't have to stick to just three or four conforming prototypes as they're developing it. They're, they have people field testing that have paid for the privilege in a way, mm-hmm. so that's a, a great model to use. And this is all like day one. The, the right. Eclipse was announced at like 7.59 before the show even really officially began, and I think we've got a few more days of a lot of great announcements. Well, you think so, or have they front loaded everything? I mean, just did everything happen today? Uh, I've looked at this action-packed press conference schedule. It looks like there's a lot of stuff coming now. I don't know if it's all going to be aircraft. There's probably going to be avionics and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, look, three new jets. If that's all it is, hey, that ain't bad either. Uh Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Amy, it looked like you had a reaction to something you said there. What was that? Well, I, I have to say that while you guys were out here sweating it out this morning, you know, having all that good uh, catered uh, uh, <laughs> listeners <laughs> with coffee, I was uh, holed up in the museum with the people who are going to be the next group to fly these aircraft. Yeah. Which is to say I was participating in the Women's Soar event that comes out of the development uh, office here at EAA, and we had 135 young women from uh, probably a 150-mile radius uh, come into the museum yesterday, and we took them on a low-ropes course, got some team-building exercises, and then we had uh, an action-packed evening with Carol Ann Garrett, who flew her Mooney around the world a couple of years ago, come in to work with the girls, and also Anusha Ansari, who you might uh, remember is the first... 
I guess you could say private uh, woman space passenger first, at the first female space tourist. There you go, first female space tourist, and it just was the the most wonderful influence on these young ladies. We did a, a scavenger hunt in the museum, and somewhere around. I don't know. Depending on whose take, uh, it was one, it was two, it was three o'clock in the morning. The museum settled down for uh, about three hours. And then we got them all up this morning and did some more. So so while you were out here looking at these these, uh, sky catchers and... We were, we were uh, trying to grow you the next crop, and I think that some of the press releases and some of the, the industry announcements you're going to see this week are going to be aimed at how do we find the people to fly these airplanes, not just the people who already know how to fly now, but... but who are the next people going to be? We have, yeah. we need student stars. Yeah. The next on, generation, the next generation of the aviators. Next yeah. Um, for those of you who are listening on EA Radio or on the internet stream, we'd love to have all of you join us uh, on a regular basis with the podcast. We record a new episode of Uncontrolled Airspace every week, and you can download it from our website at uncontrolledairspace.com or from one of the podcasting directories like iTunes. And remember that you don't need an iPod to listen to podcasts. You can download them to any portable audio device or just listen on your desktop or laptop computer. We'd love to have you all join us in the virtual hangar. And right now we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Uncontrolled Airspace on EAA Radio. Broadcasting live from Whitman Regional Airport, this is EAA AirVenture Oshkosh on EAA Radio AM 1210. On the podcast for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about how do you prepare for, for coming in here, for flying in here and, you know, read the notum and all that kind of thing. Um, how do we think it went? Uh, a couple of, well, you guys, Jeb, you flew in before the yeah, notum Dave, went into effect. Dave and I flew in on Thursday of last week, the day before the notum went a into nice, effect. Nice, quiet, sleepy little airport when we got here. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't last long. That didn't last long I, at all. I came in on, uh, on Saturday, and it was getting crowded. There. And one thing, I, I'm happy to report that Garmin now has put in Ripon in their database, ah. which they didn't used to do. So uh-huh. it would be right. like, well, where is it? Where is it? And you kind of knew it, but you had to uh-huh. triangulate. So now able to punch that into the flight plan and the Garmin and get uh, directly to Ripon and then Fisk. And uh, it was uh, smooth sailing. Did you notice, though, at Ripon, as I was coming into Ripon, that the people who were using the GPS were going right to the GPS point of Ripon, where the people who were not using the GPS were casually, smoothly making the turn <laughs> over the town? You? Bad idea. Yeah. Tell me about <laughs> if, it. If 50 airplanes are all aiming for the same point in space with 100-foot accuracy all at the same time, that's not a good thing. I'm, well, I'm just telling you, you could tell who was looking at what. Well, here's another <laughs> interesting point. Right near Ripon, there are some towers, mm-hmm. and you have to be at 2,000 feet as you... Now, it turns out if you've got, like, a handheld Garmin, where you're supposed to be seeing the direction, how whether you're supposed to turn and how far, suddenly... It turns so, yellow. Well, it pops up with a little cutout showing that you're about to bang into some towers. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something that was uh, threw me for a little bit of a loop. But the main thing is whether you're in a GPS or not, keep your eyes outside of the airplane because there are some other airplanes out there. So what you're saying here is this is an example of a, of a case where having GPS makes it less safe. It, well, you know, also, did you did you read the Notam? Because in the Notam... And you, we you all read, read we the all Notam. We all read the Well, not everybody <laughs> listening to the radio. I'm shocked. Some were advised to go somewhere else and... 
re- land and Good. read the note down. Uh-huh. And well, that's, really? and that, this was oh, yes. This oh, was yes. Ripon? At Ripon. No, no. On the tower frequency. Oh, on the Oshkosh my. Tower. Really? Okay. It happens every year. And, and I just happen to be a witness well, one, to it. One, Obviously, those folks weren't uncontrolled airspace listeners. That's that's exactly. Clearly not. Clearly they get a free subscription. That's right. Uh, as a result of their mis, uh, misdeeds. But am, am I the only one, and I think we've talked about this a little bit on the side, am I the only one here who's kind of scratching their head thinking that maybe there's more go-arounds in the pattern? That's been my, my observation as well. Yeah. I've definitely seen more. And I, I saw a, a Premier Jet did two in, in a row. I saw the first one, or the second, I'm not sure one, but... It, you know, here comes the premier, and look, and I'm thinking, well, he's getting pretty far down the runway if he's going to land, and suddenly... Firewalls. Firewalls, and apparently, uh, from somebody else who was watching it, he had to do it twice, and on the third time, the controllers were getting a little flustered and cleared everybody out of the way and sort of like, get out of his way, let him land. (laughs) Yeah, there have been a few uh, come to my attention. uh, I mean... When you're out shooting arriving airplanes, it's a real attention getter when that one that you think is going to come and frame so nice in the photograph suddenly powers up, folds up the wheels, and goes the wrong way. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, come back, come back. I was, I was talking earlier this afternoon with a, with a business associate of mine who came in, I want to say yesterday, but I might be mistaken on it. It might have been Saturday. Um, but they had a little um, uh, up-close and personal confrontation with somebody uh, uh, turning final from turning from base to final for one eight, and um, my understanding is the pink shirts had the had the opportunity to talk with that pilot. Uh, but I'll, I'll learn more about that as as the week goes on. Well, and then put a little picture together here for you that you may not, those of you who may not have done this. There are three active runways here at any given time for the arrivals, uh-huh. nine or two seven, and in parallels one eight left and right or three six left and right. And uh, the choreography that goes on, separating traffic at Fisk to route to those different arrivals, keeping the 1-8 traffic from getting too far north to interfere with the 927 traffic, uh, mm-hmm. it's quite a show, and uh, the controllers do a, a phenomenal job. Uh, the pilots mostly do a I, good I job. I was going to say, don't let us uh, leave anyone with the impression that the pilots are not doing a good job. The vast majority of them are which makes the guys who don't do a good job stand out all that much. That's right. Yeah. And I think, there is there a little bit of stage fright, do you think, for somebody coming uh, oh, first? Absolutely. Time? Big time. Absolutely. I, watched some, I happened to, to watch some arrivals on uh, 9 yesterday uh, from the North 40, and uh, it, was, it was kind of funny. You see some of these guys who I, I can just tell by looking at the airplane. It's very well done. It's, it's, it's a nice airplane. They're coming in. They know how to do this. But there's one guy bounced four or five times. There was a Satabria that we thought was going to ground loop very, very clearly. Um, but he, he saved it the last minute. Um, it's stage fright. It's um, uh, distractions. There's a lot more visual cues uh, coming in here than, than one might normally be used there to at one home airport. It could be 200,000 sets of eyes right. watching you at How any given time. just having another airplane, having two airplanes landing ahead of you on the same runway. At the and same time. And told, you need to go keep, on the numbers. And, 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 yeah. and after you touch down, you need to keep moving. That's Do not right. stop on the runway. Get off the runway. Yeah. Yep. Well, if you're going to make a mistake or have something break down, I think this is the place and the time for it to happen because yeah. no matter what you got in the airplane, what's on it, what's powering it, 
there's going to be somebody here who can fix it. Right. And uh, on the way over from New York, I suddenly developed a, uh, a problem in my Bose headset. And I've got one of the vintage ones. I mean, it deserves to kind of go in the Hall of Fame or something. <laughs> one ear started feeding back. So after work today, when I was done, went out to the plane, got the headset, took it over to the Bose people here they looked at oh we think all you need is a new gel and this this interior ear part is kind of worn down boom like wow. that all done you get the feeling that it has happened before i think <laughs> it may have and that, that's part of it you get yeah. they've seen everything here exactly right. and you know no if if they haven't i bet somebody coming up to the booth has mm -hmm. oh wait a second i well, know what's going on we, there we, we've got an acronym for some of what happens to these folks we call it fibs flight or fly-in induced brain lock. Uh, <laughs> Fibble. Fibble. Yeah. And there's an example of it right there. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm not even flying. Yeah, right. But what do we call the avionics when they do that? That's what I want to know. Uh, Something we can't say on the radio. Right. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're going to take another break. We don't do this in the regular podcast, but uh, here in real radio, you have to take a break from time to time. So, uh, so and we're, we're so relieved. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are going to get spoiled. You're going to want us to take breaks in the regular podcast. I don't know if we're going to do that. But anyways, uh, uh, we are going to take a quick break now. You're listening to Uncontrolled Airspace on EAA Radio. So we were talking earlier about the fact that uh, we're, we're working hard to get uh, more and more people involved in aviation, the next generation of pilots. Um, but some people are kind of concerned about the fact that, that flying is becoming more and more expensive. Uh, and, and, and what's the solution? What are we going to do? Is that a problem? Well, I, you know, there's all sorts of costs involved, but I think most the most immediate is how are you going to put fuel in the airplane? And one of the interesting things today when Vern Rayburn was introducing the uh, Eclipse concept jet and its size, he said, look, this is not an SUV, flying SUV. It's a four-place. It's not meant to be any bigger. He said that on CNBC this morning, they said we're going to see $100 a barrel oil by the end of the year and it's not going down. So you mean it'd be time to sell the barrel I've been hoarding? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time to also start thinking about what do we do to kind of make That's it affordable? Right. And certainly, I mean, you can go on airnav.com and look for the best fuel prices. But, you know, sometimes you can't stop at the airport with the best fuel sure. prices. I got weathered in in Vermont, and I needed an ILS. I needed to go to an airport with a big runway and an ILS. When I got there, I had a radio problem. I needed a radio shop. And I have to tell you that Atlantic Aviation there had a car that was reasonable gave me a hotel, made the reservation for me at the hotel room for $100 less than what it would have cost had I tried to make that reservation myself. And you know I had to go out IFR the next day with my radio fixed, went to Rochester and U.S. Uh, Aviation, did the same thing and got me a very inexpensive room, a very nice car. So you know what, even though their gas was a buck and a half higher, I, I'm not complaining. Well, let's also remind everybody, always ask about crew rates when you have to land somewhere that you're point. not expecting to be and asking about hotels. Ask if they have crew rates because often you'll get you, a much better price. Do you have to be wearing price. a funny hat? I mean, no. no. You just have to know to ask. You just have to know to ask. You could take a magic marker and put some shoulder bars on your head. You don't That's even need yeah. to do that. The contrast, though, to, to Amy's story is I planned a trip that was uh, uh, earlier in July uh, down to the Sarasota area, landed at Venice uh, uh, Municipal. Um, I'd 
called ahead and arranged a rental car. We rolled up, <clears throat> excuse me, um, 15 minutes before their closing time on a Saturday evening. The car was sitting there on the ramp, ready to be loaded. It was 20 feet away from where I parked the airplane. Uh, coming out of there, um, I, I did, I'd already made my own hotel arrangements, but coming out of there uh, a couple of three days later, um, used their self-serve gas and topped off. Uh, I think it was like four bucks a gallon, something like that. Um, yeah, if, if you're stuck with a mechanical, you don't have a lot of choice. You might you might be fortunate enough to have more than one FBO on the field. Yeah, and if you do, it's important to call because, you know, I went into uh, Midway on the way here, and there are three FBOs there, and you get into the thing, well, if you buy seven gallons here, you will take off the landing fee, and right, if you right. buy 20 gallons there, we'll take off one of your night tie-down fees. And you really got to get out the calculator. And if you don't buy it from us, we'll take off your prop. <laughs> <laughs> but you do, you know, you can look around and economize somewhat, but there are times, certainly, where you just have sure. to bite the bullet, open the wallet, play the plastic. Sure. Well, and, you know, there is a, a pretty serious effort to lower the cost of flying, learning to fly, getting into fly, doing some mild traveling, and that's the light sport airplane. Absolutely. Okay. And, you know, I, I, I really believe that there is also a big push towards new engine technology and new fuels. What have you guys seen about that? Well, uh, tomorrow there are some, I understand, we're going to be uh, hearing more from uh, SMS and some of the... Uh, SMA. SMA. And, SMA. And, and Tealert both have press conferences tomorrow. Um, we don't have any crystal ball of what they're going to be talking about, but generally we can presume they'll be talking about their latest and greatest uh, engine development, uh, engine technology development, and uh, kind of the next iteration, the next generation of what they're up to. And the LSAs are designed, as, as we know, to bring right. more people in, but that also may become the refuge for people that aren't doing as much flying as they, they were and are looking to downsize their flying a little bit or sure. make it more economical. Well, when Diamond Aircraft in Austria and Canada started working on a new twin, they the DA-42 twin star, uh, they first certificated it with diesel engines. And uh, the fuel burn on those things is ridiculously lower than comparable horsepower mm -hmm. piston engines. Didn't they go across the pond on 72 gallons? Something like that, yeah. 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 That was to get here last year, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. But yeah. now, they're, are they selling the diesels in the U.S.? Not aircraft at, at this, this point. Time. If not, why? What does that say about the technology? Um, Just some growing. What pains? it says about the technology is is not a whole lot. I don't think. I mean, I, I flew a Teeler powered 172 several months ago in the, in the DC area, uh, operated by a traffic uh, um, uh, traffic patrol operation, traffic spotting operation. But what it says mostly about is that the infrastructure for supporting the diesels uh -huh. installed on the DA-42 Twinstar doesn't exist as they would like it in North America. Well, it, but what are they doing about that? I don't know offhand. I presume that they are uh, re doing the research and doing the, the infrastructure development. Uh, it's been a while since I visited that topic, so I'm a little flat-footed by that question. Well, there's an infrastructure now that will support fueling those airplanes. It means going to an airport where there's Jet A. It's not fuel that we're talking it's about. The it's the servicing and the maintenance. Exactly. And the maintenance. exactly. Well, but you, pull, you land at, at Venice Municipal with a DA-42 Twinstar that's maybe got a high EGT on a couple of cylinders. You're not going to find anybody on that airport 
to who knows how to work on that engine. Well, but you, you're not. Your chances are that's not going to be an issue, like it'll be with a, an air cooled engine, because these are liquid cooled engines, and it's a whole you know, different breed of cat. They'll have a whole different issue. They're an engine. Did you hear that? I think Sonics is coming out with uh-huh. their own engine. That's another yeah. press conference tomorrow. Uh-huh. That uh, is likely to be an interesting announcement. As we said at the top of this show, folks, um, this is just day one, and we've just talked about some of the the cream of the crop that's been discussed and announced here at the EAA AirVenture this well, year. Well, and, and not to uh, not not to over promote one company, but uh, Diamond is working on an electrically powered mm-hmm. aircraft that uh, they hope to fly in a couple of years uh, as a test bed. And we could be seeing fuel cell-powered, electrically-driven aircraft. Easy for you to say in a few years. Well, you see them today if you go look at the gliders. There's That electric engine technology at the very low power range is already here. And NASA flew a uh, solar-powered, unpiloted aircraft several years ago up into the, I want to say, the 100,000-foot level. Uh, several miniature uh, electric engines turning, uh, electric motors turning propellers, solar powered. No people. No people on board. Of course, it's not man rated, but uh, it was a test bed. It was uh, it was a high altitude test bed on one level, but it was also an electric power test bed on another. Well, since we're here and celebrating all that's going on and day one here, let me uh, throw this into reverse for a moment and uh, give a, a shout of kudos to. The uh, Bonanzas, which I covered their mass arrival the other day. Uh, this says a lot because you're the Mooney guy. Yes, right. That's right. I'm the well, Bonanza I'm, guy. I'm the Mooney nice guy. Nice things about Bonanzas. Yeah. You know, it was cool. What <laughs> happened? It was just nice. You know, I've been covering this every year of, of their mass arrivals. Well, every year since uh, 94, and I've been working on the paper. And I guess it, they had one year, like, over 100, and this is the first time they've done that since then. Uh, and they did it... Uh, to recognize the 60th anniversary of the Bonanza, uh-huh. which is this year. And also, they're very happy that Raytheon now has spun off the aircraft division and they're reclaiming the Beechcraft name as Hawker Beechcraft. They're all just thrilled. Uh, the uh, president and CEO joined that group flight the first time he'd done that in a brand new uh G36, I believe yeah, they call be the it, with, with the G1000. They also had in the flight uh, serial number 18 Bonanza. Really? From 1947. So, 1947. So you had the whole span. Uh, one thing, though, that did happen on this flight, they left, they form up in Rockford. They left with 102 Bonanzas and, and eight Barons. So they left oh, with 110 uh, aircraft. Gotcha. Zing. <laughs> they arrived with 109. One of the Bonanzas developed uh, some engine problems on the way, turned around, uh, was losing some oil apparently, and was about to pass over the city of Rockford. And the pilot, to his credit, thought, well, you know, who knows what's going to happen Not with this engine, decided to put it down in a cornfield. Now, he walked away from it. The aircraft perhaps didn't survive quite as well, but my hat's off to a decision like that, that judgment saying I'm going to be safe, not for my, just for myself, but all those people on the ground. I, so I it hope, was a good landing, but I, not I quite a great landing. I hope it wasn't landing. something as simple as forgetting to put the oil cap back on. Well, we hope uh, probably not. Yeah, but... 
Yeah. One of my favorite features of uh, uncontrolled airspace has become uh, the uh, off-field landing of the week. And uh, we actually had one here in Oshkosh last night, at least one I think qualifies as an off-field landing of the week. Um, a, uh, this comes from the TV news report, and I was looking for it on the web, and I couldn't find a link. Before we put the show notes together, we'll have a link to the news story about this. But apparently what happened is a, a Warbird, a T-6 Texan, uh, probably inbound on the Warbird arrival, developed engine troubles. Uh, uh, it was described on the TV as a total engine failure uh, down around Fond du Lac, which is about 15 miles south of here, and uh, wasn't able to make it back to Fond du Lac Airport and announced that he was going to land on the, uh, the large highway here, uh, US-41. And interestingly, assuming the TV news report was was accurate, um, he, they had enough warning that the state police were able to at least begin to clear this segment of highway. And the guy actually set it down on the highway, and more, I mean, successfully by my standard. Um, they certainly got out and walked away. Well, no, what I heard happen was that um, one wing clipped a road sign and put a dent in the leading edge. Now, well, no, be, go now, ahead. So I think that's the the uh, yeah. off-field landing. I apologize, I don't have the guy's name because we couldn't find the story. But, but I did. just like the idea that they can coordinate and clear the road for you. How, well, I like they, that, too. How do they get that trick done? The, the, the <laughs> local newspaper report that I read off the web earlier today was a little bit more colorful. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it described the, the T-6 um, losing its engine. It didn't really get into... Uh, alerting local state patrol or law enforcement uh, uh, to the event, but it definitely was, <clears throat> excuse me, trailing smoke, etc. The local newspaper report went on to note that the pilot set down the T6 and then apparently firmly and then bounced it over one of these patrol cars. Now, I, I would really like to have been there to see that. And know if it was on purpose. And know if it was on purpose. <laughs> that's right. See, that's yeah. the kind of thing, if they did that in a Bruce Willis movie, I would not buy it. Right. Right. It's, like, it's, it's all CGI yeah. in a Bruce Willis yeah. movie. Yeah. Next year's new event at Air Venture yeah. will be the hurdles. Right. <laughs> the T-6 hurdles coming soon to an airport near you, or, or a roadway near you. Well, if somebody had caught that on video, I mean, that would have been number one on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it gives, yeah. you know, it gives an Another reason to follow the old uh, axiom from the uh, thing from another planet: watch the skies. You never know when a T6 might be trying to take up the same lane. <laughs> That's right. This, this so, is the but, city. But no, so this, stories. This, but a minute ago, idea of a, a, right, that right. would qualify for it. Right. A well, moment ago, it, it, we it, were it, talking it, about the uh, the, uh, the bonanza, bonanza right. that landed successfully. I mean, mm -hmm. walked away from mm -hmm. uh, a land on forced landing uh, down south, cornfield, and yes. uh, and that's an excellent landing, and he deserves a lot of credit uh, for doing that well. For the purpose, for my purposes, as far as the podcast is concerned, I defined that um, the off-field landing of the week, the airplane had to be more or less in flying condition at the at the end of this. Um, at least know. the airframe, if not the engine. Yeah, and and so uh, you know because what I wanted to do with this feature was to kind of shine a light on the fact that every time an airplane has trouble in the air, it doesn't involve a crash. Right? No, absolutely not. In fact, there's there's a line, there's a monetary line they draw, and it's somewhere around $25,000. Is it a monetary line? Yeah, or? no, it's a monetary line. Okay. They say if it's more than $25,000 damaged, now they may have to adjust this up, because I recently heard of, <coughs> of, a, of a case where a where, uh, landing accident where more than $250,000 damage was done to the airplane and yet all that happened was the gear was sheared off so uh, this on, on new airplanes that they may have to adjust that 
However, that that's the the official line from the FAA. Okay. I have to tell you, this is awesome. We need to get a staff. We need a crew for the Uncontrolled Space <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> we, need a, we need researchers uh, and interns. An engineer, because, because our engineer here, who I confess I don't I don't know your name, but we're going to say his name before we're done here, has brought up on my little monitor here to my right magically uh, the uh, story on the website. Let's All see. Right. This is from. Uh, uh, anyways, it's from what's it's from the local ABC affiliate. Uh, it says. Uh, uh, it says the story, that what I mainly wanted to get out of this was the name uh, 59-year-old William Leff of Dayton, Ohio, and his 19-year-old son Jeff were on their way to the EA Air Jeff Venture. Leff. Jeff, Jeff Leff. Leff. Now, 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 we're trying a- to glorify a- them. A- a- Leff, what no. are you saying? The official, uh, official what? Well, when you go to the NTSB and when you're looking at uh, 830, part 830, you know where it defines part 830 what the, you're yeah. supposed to what you're supposed to do. After an accident or an incident, it actually tells you what how much damage. Because I've seen other or or if there's some kind of of injuries, 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 injuries or yeah, hospitalization but, more than seven days or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. all that. But I think that what I'm always amazed at, or or I think that a lot of people think if you make an off airport landing and you ding a little something, you've had an accident, no. and you don't. And in fact, go, you go also further than that. A lot of people think that, uh, and and generally there are people who are are not aviators, not rated pilots, think that if you land gear up or if there's an engine issue, uh, that it's automatically reportable to the FAA. Nothing is reportable to the FAA. Nothing. The NTSB, nothing to the FAA by you. Now, they may get alerted by tower personnel, etc., but you don't have to report anything to the FAA. Or or a guy that just doesn't like you. (laughs) But you do have to report an accident Uh to the NTSB. Yes, that's correct. And and there's a defined time period in which you must do that. But there is fine line as to whether you've had an incident or an accident and before you make that call check it out because you may have just had an incident whereas if you have an if you trigger that call there could be consequences that you don't have to go through that you will and the important distinction is that accidents are what are reportable to ntsb incidents Incidents are are not right and and one more thing which is everybody does know about the asrs program if it's an accident, ASRS is not going to be your get-out-of-jail-free. Mm-hmm. If it's an incident, that's a whole nother mm-hmm. ball of wax. Mm-hmm. If you're not sure... File it anyway. File it anyway. Mm-hmm. ASRS, the Aviation Safety Reporting System. Right. Yes. And that, it, can uh, be, it can be a get-out-of-jail-free card, depending on what you're reporting. Now, is it true it's only valid one per year? One time every five years. Every, right. five, every years. five years. Yes. Oh, you're in big trouble, James. <laughs> <laughs> However, it, it's really, that only comes up if your number comes up and you have to produce the receipt. The immunity so, is only good once every five years. But but my my uh, line from hanging out with a bunch of airline pilots is all of them carry them, right? And you don't even need to carry it. You can actually file them it, it, online now and online. print out print out your receipt. The point is, any time there's a question of an altitude bus, there's a question of did I do this right or wrong? These guys know. Right. 
it's time to fill out a form. Yeah. And then it, they can fill out as many as they want it, but it's only when they're called back on it that that one in five years well, the whole effect. The whole philosophy behind the creation of ASRS was to give pilots, air traffic controllers, and mechanics a place to anonymously report anomalies and errors and mistakes that could help improve aviation safety by giving, uh, uh, giving the folks a database of things that go wrong uh, without fearing the wrath of the FA by turning it in. So when Callback, the monthly publication of the ASRS, comes out, they only uh, identify the reporting people as, uh, you know, a, an airline pilot, a controller, a GA pilot, and then they describe the incident in the words usually of the reporting person, and then their little take on, on what could have been done differently or what happened and why. And it's very enlightening. It's uh, If you don't subscribe, it's worth your time. Of course, it'll be another piece of aviation mail in your mailbox, but the mailman won't care. It's only one sheet of paper. There right. is one caveat to all this, which is negligence. That It's not going to get you out of that. Right, right, right. right. Well, let's bring this back around to, uh, to the uh, to the grounds here at Oshkosh. But first, um, I want to thank our our board op engineer is uh, Nick Gollin. Uh, who uh, did I get that right? Nick Gollin uh, from uh, South Bend, Indiana, and he's Another the one Hoosier. Who, uh, who has made a contribution to the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast by uh, digging out this. And, and let me also uh, mention Randy Dufault, who's here uh, from the Air Venture Today staff, uh, doing the camera work behind the scenes. Uh, very much appreciate the support. Randy. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. So what else is going on here? Uh, uh, Dave, have you been down to Ultralights? I have. It's <laughs> a little sad. Why? What's oh. going on? Well, we were talking about LSAs a little while ago as, as, as one of the ways of uh, reducing the cost of getting into aviation. And what's happened, and there was some fear about this uh, when the uh, LSA rule was working its way through the system over 12 years, uh, it's started to fracture what used to be the ultralight and light experimental really? market that filled up the ultralight area. I mean, just three years ago, you were walking all over companies down there. Uh, and so what's the effect down there? It's well, it's, uh, it's, it, it's barely a shadow of what it was uh, uh, two years ago. Uh, it was a little lighter last year because EAA, in its efforts to promote LSA and give this new category the, the jump start that uh, it, it needs, created a light sport aircraft mall just off Aeroshell Square here. And a lot of the companies, only one airplane that they can uh, use as a demo, that's where they put it. So uh, they've kind of switched from ultralight to LSA? Well, a lot of them are still doing both. But a lot of the uh, quote-unquote ultralight companies were also building 51% uh, rule experimental amateur-built light experimental aircraft. I said experimental twice. I don't want to do it. The LSA thing has got them moving in that direction because now instead of selling kits, they can said, sell ready-to-build or ready-to-fly, no building required. Mm -hmm. uh, even some of the uh, hangers-on in the ultralight area or in the ultralight movement, the guys that are building 254-pound single-seat, five-gallon airplanes are looking at moving into the LSA market with their two-seaters. Some of the faster, heavier LSAs uh, at the higher end of the performance limitations uh, don't like flying in the uh, ultralight area down by the Red Marne because the field's kind of tight for them. Uh, but the ultralight type 
LSAs, tube and rag like the uh, uh, Quicksilver, uh, the M squared Breeze. You know, these are airplanes that have stall speeds of about 24 miles an hour and top speeds of maybe 80. They're perfectly at home down there, and mm-hmm. some of them are still down there. But most of the companies, when they got the LSA mall opportunity, saw the difference in crowd up here, and they started asking for exhibit spaces closer to the main area. Mm-hmm. So it has caused a, 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 a plane drain, if you will, out of the ultralight area. I don't think there's but about a third of the companies exhibiting down there that there was a year ago. Well, and, and it's I think it's great that they're doing this thing up here to bring the LSA thing, you know, sort of more to show center. No do question. You, do you think that as uh, LSA becomes more established, that whole industry will move back down to the field where they maybe can fly from? And, no, I don't. Really? Uh, yeah, some of them don't want to fly down there. They were flying down there a year ago, but uh, they were a little uncomfortable with the trees at one end and the tight turn that you have to make at the other to uh, keep from broaching the airspace there on arrival to uh, 3-6. So there... And there may be some new companies come into the uh, ultralight business. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, I'm a little... You know, I'm a little fearful for the future of the ultralight area and the red barn. What about for the future of the ultralights in general? Are, are too many customers migrating over to LSA so that they're not going to have a customer well, base? Well, that's, that, that's a good question because in reality, uh, the ultralight, the pure ultralight, has been a fairly stagnant market for years. Uh, I mean... It, it's a great way to go out and have fun boring holes in the sky, but it's always just you. It's never more than 55 knots. So if you're going cross-country in it, you know, pack a lunch. Uh, <laughs> it was designed purely as an inexpensive way for people to get up and enjoy flying with no real purpose other than the enjoyment of mm-hmm. flying. Uh that market hasn't been real ripe in years. That's why so many of those manufacturers were dabbling in two-seed versions that required a 51% amateur-built certificate. Mm -hmm. Let's come back to that thought in just a second. You're listening to a special episode of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast. For those of you listening on EAA Radio or on the Internet stream, we'd love to have you join us on a regular basis. You can get information about the podcast at our website, uncontrolledairspace.com. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Uncontrolled Airspace on EAA Radio. You're listening to a special episode of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast on EA Radio. So, uh, we, before you were so rudely interrupted, Dave, you were you were kind of in the midst of a thought on uh, the future of ultralights. Well, the uh, the future of ultralights, I think, is probably about the same as it as it has been. It's the ultralight area here that I worry a little bit about. But the uh, uh, as I was starting to say, the ultralight folks quickly got a waiver for two seat trainers in the early '80s when Part 103 came about. And a lot of them gravitated into making those kits 51% approved for amateur building. Well, now they're getting out of that amateur building stuff in increasing numbers to go to this LSA or the ELSA where you assemble the airplane, but it doesn't have to be 51%. Uh, So I don't think ultralights are going to go away completely, but they haven't been a significant percentage of that market for quite a while. Uh, I think what's going to go away is the uh, two-seaters because those folks with waivers only have until the end of January to transition them to LSA, or those airplanes are no longer legal, period. Even they're not grandfathered? No. No. No, No. they have to fill out paperwork. They are being grandfathered if they make the paperwork to make the transition to ELSA by January 31, 2008. If they don't do that, 
And what they've got is a really exotic ceiling hanging for their hangar or a paperweight of magnitude. Do people know that? Are they doing this? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, well been, oh, yeah. It, it's, it's been in the uh, paperwork and the circulation and the forums and workshops for two years now. They've yeah. known about this deadline for two and a half years. One, one question I would have is to what extent, if any, the LSA market and the LSA rule and this whole grassroots uh, uh, phenomenon has stifled innovation in the ultralight market. Like so much emphasis is being put on LSA, you rarely hear that much about something new coming out of the ultralight industry. Well, I, to, to, to use an old uh, uh, label, uh, ultralights became kind of mature technology pretty quickly because there's only so many ways that you can keep an airplane below 255 pounds. And uh, so aluminum tube and Dacron was the preferred because it was inexpensive and easy. Uh, there were some sheet metal designs built, but they never caught on quite as well because they were much more difficult to, to, to construct and much more expensive. You could sell those ready to fly, mm -hmm. but a lot more expensive to construct. Uh, so we, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that there's a lot of room for innovation when you've got a 254-pound weight limit. You've got to, got to live within the limits of the materials and the technology. Yeah, good answer. Moving on here, uh, so so our friend Amy's running out of steam here. You know, I think I think you know she was what truly running those ladies. Yeah, do she was too run, much run slumber nights. party last there night. There was a scavenger hunt. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to take off and leave us here, and uh, she's going to go scavenge some sleep. That's right. So thanks for joining us. We appreciate it, and it's always a pleasure. And uh, we'll of course uh, see you again in the virtual hangar sometime soon uh, as we get back to our regular digs. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Amy Laboda. Thanks, thanks. much, Amy. Thanks, Amy. And uh, before we move on here, we're going to we're, we're drafting we're, Randy we're drafting, to come right. in and, and fill the chair here. So this is Randy Dufoe. Randy is a, another friend of ours from the Air Venture Today uh, newspaper staff. He does writing for us there. And uh, like myself, he's a computer geek out in the real world. But and, and I've heard uh, Randy under discussion on podcasts that I've Randy's listened name, to. Randy's name, we have used his name in vain once or twice on the podcast. Uh, we were talking at one point about some of the cracks that you discovered in your uh, in your, what was it, an annual, or was it just sort of you I'm discovered I'm so them? glad you rounded out that idea. You had to worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, the plane is remarkable. It's it was out. remarkable, but well, now, <laughs> well, it's been uh, it's been in the hangar for several months. But uh, no, during the annual, we uh, we were looking at the at uh, the engine and uh, um, we're it, discussing it the fact we probably were going to have to buy a battery this year. Was it going to be the big annual thing? And <laughs> uh, and the uh, uh, till uh, and I do an owner assisted manual uh, or annual and and. Uh, uh, which is great. You get to learn about Would your that be airplane. a manual annual? Yes. <laughs> yes, I take all the screws out and put them all back in, which is what owner assistance means in most cases. But uh, I, I kicked him under the table for you, Randy. <laughs> Ow. So what happened? Uh, so anyway, uh, um, I was disassembling something inside the airplane, and, and uh, uh, my mechanic came around and, and uh, was kind of motioning for me to, to come and take a look at something and, and sure enough, there was a little crack in the crankcase uh, of the engine, seeping some oil. Um, and the airplane itself has about 
uh, twelve thousand one hundred hours on it. It's a wow. uh, it's a Skyhawk, a former trainer. So hard to get them to go to twelve thousand and two. It is. They just been, don't make them like they used to. It has been a wonderful airplane. Um, you know, certainly it was inexpensive because of of its past history. Um, it isn't the prettiest looking thing, but boy, you'd roll it out of the hangar, start it up, and it, and it just went. So. Uh, we did go back and look in the logbooks, and that crankcase had about 10,400 hours on it. So not quite as old as the airplane, but... Uh, You've depreciated that acquisition. And it had been repaired twice already. Um, and we did take a shot at, at repairing it again, although after about eight weeks, the crankcase shop said, no, <laughs> ain't going to happen. So we've been scrambling to uh, scramble to find a new one. Uh, it arrived at my mechanic last week, um, and uh, we had to order a bunch of parts to make it all put uh, work. And of course, now here I'm, I'm here this week and not able to be there assisting putting the engine back together. So that's so it should be done somewhere around Thanksgiving. <laughs> it could be. It could be. No, we're we're very anxious to get back in the air. I, I miss it a lot. So what are you doing now? You're you're. Are you just swapping for a, a used engine you found somewhere? Uh, no, uh, we, we uh, purchased a used He's been over in the fly case. market. He's buying pieces and parts, <laughs> yes. and he's going to build a new one from scratch. Uh, the, uh, no, well, he, Randy has discovered with this whole discussion of how to keep flying inexpensive. Here's the man to consult. <laughs> well, absolutely. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually... Uh, Without this particular airplane, there's absolutely no way that I could be involved in, in ownership, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. just, just because it's been so inexpensive for right. us. Yeah. So how are you solving the engine problem? You started uh, down that path, and you got off on a wrong taxiway. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we did get the, uh, uh, found a used crankcase um, and uh, shipped that off to be reconditioned, and it came back. Uh, and now we're going to put the engine back together and bolt it back on the airplane. And uh, the, the rest of the engine only had 400 hours on it. So, How do you find a used crankcase? Where do you go for that? You know, I was deeply concerned um, about looking for that, but I did a couple of Google searches on the Internet and up popped a, an ad for a shop that said, you know, here's a list of used engines that we have. Um, so I sent the guy an email, and uh, uh, a computer geek, you know, I can't <laughs> possibly call the guy on the telephone. And uh, um, and it uh, and I said, you know, look, you've listed a, an 0320 D2J engine, uh, uh, run-out engine that you've got available, and I need a D2J crankcase. Um, will you be willing to sell me the crankcase off of it? Or, well, you know, first off, is it serviceable? And, and B, would you... Would you sell it uh, to me? And uh, interestingly enough, uh, this guy said, sure, and took the engine apart and sold me the crankcase. And I, I don't know what he's going to do with the rest of the engine, uh, but uh, I, I think Fly he's, that. Fly he's, he's waiting for you to call and say, uh, do you still have the, the crank the on thing. that engine? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so well, we're all rooting for you. Yeah, and, uh, you'll have to come back on the podcast later on and tell us how it all worked and, out. And okay. Randy's experience notwithstanding, um, it just goes to show that high-time airplanes uh, should not be condemned uh, no. just because they've been flown a lot. And in fact, flying is one of the best things you can do to help maintain your airplane. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot better. It's, it's much more preferable to having it sit on the tie down for weeks and months at Absolutely. a time. Absolutely. And it is a known fact that time spent in the air is not subtracted from your lifespan. <laughs> so right. if you want to exactly live longer, right. fly more. That's right. And okay, so here we go. This is going to be smooth. You ready? 
Speaking of old airplanes, what have we seen here at Oshkosh? <laughs> Segway did he go, George? <laughs> uh, What's going on out there? What's uh, well, I saw just a very beautiful PT three uh, in the beach hangar, and it's now over here. Uh, it's now over here on the uh, Warbirds uh, flight line. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's talking about the weeks hangar. It's interesting. After we got in uh, Thursday night, we got in too late to uh, to get to Weeks, which is uh, where I leave my airplane when I'm working for Over Inch today. So we were over there Friday morning. And sure enough, my cell phone rings, and it's a buddy of mine. Um, I, I've mentioned him on the podcast before. He's David. A, David. He's an airline pilot uh, for, quote, a major airline, unquote. And he was Did calling. Tell it was David by how little Jeb got to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to confirm or deny. But um, uh, I interrupted, interrupted him at one point and said, David, you know, you just got to get a picture here for where I am. I'm standing in this hangar. Uh, I'm standing beside a P-51. Across the way is a uh, F-4U Corsair. There are two Waco biplanes in there. There are three cabin cabin Wacos. There are three um, extras, or or I I didn't really get that close to them to to verify their types. Sukhoi. Sukhoi, uh, basically single-engine tail dragger, monoplanes, used for aerobatics, extreme aerobatics. It was a Uh, Ford trimotor. A Ford trimotor. Another um, uh, vintage biplane, um, the the, the uh, type and model of which I'm not aware, uh, and that was what I could see from where I stood. I, what was on the other side of the trimotor and, and behind the Corsair and all that kind of thing, I don't know. Uh, but if you're looking for vintage airplanes, uh, get thee to Oshkosh. That's right. They're wall-to-wall here. That's right. Well, speaking of vintage airplanes, they... Uh, We've got B-17s here. I photographed a B-24 Liberator today as it was being towed in. Uh, old, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mess it up. I don't remember the, 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 the nose art now. but uh, Pantito? Uh, no, no, that's a 25. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is a consolidated B-24. Uh, Lady Luck? No, no. no. Anyway, uh, there was uh, quite a number of P-51s here. Uh, there's a lot of old Bonanzas. There's a lot of newer Bonanzas, a lot of old Cessnas. When they mix it up, there's a P-51 flying with, a, was that the Raptor today? That was an F-14. Off the, F-50. F-15. 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 Yeah, they yeah. retired to 14. Yeah. Sorry. A lot of great airplanes. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Uncontrolled Airspace on EAA Radio. For the latest information on AirVenture, stay tuned to EAA Radio. You're listening to the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast on EAA Radio. So uh, we're really, really excited about the fact that uh, the current issue of Sport Aviation Magazine uh, has written a really flattering, nice uh, article about the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast. And, uh, you know... Well deserved. Oh, thank you. Well, you're part of it. And, uh, um, you know, it's just been very flattering that they did this. We, we encourage people to, uh, to make sure you uh, open up your issue or if you don't get it, find one. And uh, read and, and uh, um, page 96. Not that I'm counting, but uh, a very nice article in the August issue of Sport Aviation. So, what else is going on around the grounds? Uh, what are some of the kind of less? I mean, we talk about the airplanes and the air show, and uh, you know, well, there's talk, a lot of other activities. Well, talk about some of those. Tom Pobresny made a point at Tom. Well, there's a, an incredible person right there. Just that he manages to be aware at once. He makes this whole thing. He's an enabler in the best sense of the word. And he said, yes, we see all this technology that is a place for innovation, but it's really about the people 
And that is so true. We all love looking at the airplanes, seeing them in the air and the, on, on the ground. But when you talk to the people who fly them and who hang around them and service them, they have wonderful stories. They all turn out to be wonderful people that you want to hang out with. And that's one of the joys of being here in Oshkosh. And then all the spectating that goes on of just even people from the surrounding community who don't come onto the airport grounds but set up their lawn chairs right outside just to watch planes come and go. It just everybody just gets into the spirit of it. Yesterday over in the North 40, I, I had a few minutes and uh, grabbed a scooter and, and went over there just to kind of get the feel for this year's uh, uh, festivities. And uh, uh, there's probably two or 300 people lined up along the rope line. Uh, uh, along runway 927 uh, watching the, all the arrivals. They've, they've gotten in the day before, they got in that morning and got the airplane secured, got all the gear set up and, and whatnot. And that's that was the uh, the uh, primary spectator sport here at Oshkosh yesterday afternoon. Well, that's really a happening place. It I, really I mean, is. I've sort of known that, but last night we were out there uh, uh, socializing a little bit, and not only was there this party going, I mean, there was just all sorts of activity up and down the I don't know the boulevard there. And, oh, uh, it is well, people coming and going, lined up. That's where I'm headed when we're out. Uh, and so. and it, the, the, the the air show started. What's today? I mean, you lose track. Monday. Monday. Today. Yes. So it started today, but it started. I mean, officially started today, but people get here days ahead of time, and they, well, we, they're parked, they're camping. So we yeah. put out we put out eight newspapers for a seven day fly in so, for a reason, right? And that's because the day before opening day, there's already over a hundred thousand people here, right. several thousand GA airplanes, and it just you know continues to expand. Dave and I got here uh, eight fifteen local time Thursday night. We were not the first airplane to arrive. <laughs> not Let's by just a long put shot. <laughs> well, my uh, my old buddy Joe Champagne lives down in Oklahoma. Uh, flies his Luscom up here most years mm -hmm. when he's not flying Roy Clark's uh, Stearman. Uh, Joe got here Saturday a week ago <laughs> with his Luscom, set up camp in Vintage, put out his hammock. And uh, you Joe know, is of the of the infamous Cajun condo. That's right? the infamous Cajun condo yeah. gang. Uh, one of the best places to get away from the airport and still watch the action is a throwback drive-in restaurant, 1950s style. The waitresses are on roller skates, little black skirts. They're actually cool lots. They are kind of cute. They always you're too old to be saying that. And uh, kind of, kind of. Artie and Eds. Artie and Eds. Artie and Eds. It's right on an intersection of two streets right over by the lake shore and it is dead on the final approach to That's runway right. 27. Now you go so you over there, have food. a milkshake a, and a chili dog, an onion ring and get your action while you eat. Watching the airplanes overhead. Not, That's the action. Not the way That's the action. Yeah, okay, right. What else? So let's talk a little bit about because we are starting to reach the end of our allotted time here. So uh, what uh, what can we expect the rest of the week? You know, for those people who are here in town, uh, for those people, the podcast will be on the internet probably sometime Tuesday. So there's still plenty of time to jump in your airplane and come to Oshkosh. So. Well, there is actually an air show <laughs> going That's right. on every afternoon. And every afternoon, the world's greatest aerobatic performers are right in your face, right in the sky, and in, in front of you. Uh, Dave, you 
been tracking who's who's here this year. Well, so first of all, who's your your second favorite air show performer? Because we we know <laughs> we know we know who his favorite is. That's right, his uh, CFI. Right. Uh, there are so many great ones. Uh, Mike Goulian, he came in the office the other day. Seemed like such a charming guy and was showing us all how to work his iPhone. He had an and, iPhone. And he's really <laughs> nice about I that. I see an iPhone here. Oh, gosh. So I, I, they always seem to be great people, and and I, every time you see them perform, you just can't believe what they're doing to their airplanes and the, their bodies and that they managed to maintain consciousness during the, these maneuvers. But I'll give a shout-out to Mike Goulian for being such a nice guy when he came by the other day, and he is a hell of a heck of a pilot. That's right. And also, say the name of your favorite air show performer. Well, Patty Wagstaff, I would have to say. I ah, think the she's, lovely she's Patty. the best. Right. Randy, what are you looking forward to the rest of the week? Well, uh Certainly the air show. I'm, I'm always fond of antique and classic. Uh, I like to wander through that area. And, and um, um, just uh, actually a, a few minutes ago, I was wandering through there, and there was this little twin-tailed airplane. It's an... Oh, gosh, I read the prop card, but, I for, <laughs> but I've, I've now forgotten. And, Sensory and, over uh, aviation but, overdose. <laughs> uh, but it does say on the prop card that it, that it is the last one. Um, and uh, obviously a brand new restoration, and and so uh, um, I get a great kick out of that. The the line of, of Staggerwing beaches was at seven this afternoon, and there were a couple of others scattered throughout the field, uh, not in the same line. Uh, a favorite airplane of mine, and uh, I just love talking to those folks. Uh, uh, have dreams of, of restoring a a, a classic at mm. some point in my yeah. life. Yeah, Dave, what are you looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to uh, actually getting a few minutes to uh, stay on the flight line and watch and photograph the uh, new team put together by Sean D. Tucker called the Collaborators. Uh, I always love watching Sean fly a solo act. Uh, the Collaborators is a four-man team. Uh, this is their first public appearance uh, as, as a team like this. Uh, they put on quite a show, I understand. I've missed it today. And, uh, and, and it's always kind of fun to sit back as the air show is coming toward its end and watch the Aeroshell aerobatic team, the highly refined routine that they do in their T-6 Texans. Uh-huh. Jeb, what are you looking forward to? I guess one word, people. Um, for me, the, the greatest attraction to, to Oshkosh is the people uh, that I... I get to see again, I get to renew acquaintances with each year. The, the guys sitting around this table are a prime example. But there are any number of other people that I run into that I really only see once a year right. here at Oshkosh. And uh, if, if, for example, I, I, I couldn't make it uh, one year or, or something like that, I would be much the, the worse for it. Uh, the, the people here, the friends that I've made, the friends that I want to make and, and uh, want to renew acquaintances with is, is to me the greatest attraction. But I love kicking tires. I love uh, having the time and uh, walking around and looking at uh, the craftsmanship on these vintage and restored airplanes. The, and the uh, home builds. And the home builds. Um, and, and just the, the time and energy and effort and blood and sweat and tears that have gone into these and things. Money. And the money, the decades sometimes. That's true. Uh, uh, gone into rebuilding and flying these airplanes. Uh, I like walking through the exhibitors hangars and, and uh, seeing what the latest and greatest uh, uh, stuff is and, and uh, the ability to, to talk to, as we talked at the top of the show, uh, about both. Talk to vendors and, and get feedback from them on, am I using your product uh, correctly? Is there some way I can use it better? 
Could you, you sell me a new one? Could, could you sell me a new one? <laughs> yes. But, but and, and clearly those those manufacturers, those vendors are here to, to sell me a new one. But they're also uniformly forthcoming with suggestions and, and assistance to existing customers. Yeah. Jack, what's you looking forward to? Yeah. I, I'm just, you know, I love the whole thing. Getting you know, through I, two podcasts well, is what he's looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to doing two podcasts. Uh, we're having a good time with this. And, uh, you know, I just love the whole show. I, I You know, we've talked about this in the past podcast. I love hanging out with yeah. all the pilots. You know, it's it's you know, all good is the punchline. You guys did. I don't think you heard the intro that we did at the very top of the show, but uh, I referred to Air Venture as, as the world's largest hangar flying uh, activity. And in a way it is. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we're just all here for a week, spread out over about whatever, however many acres and two miles of flight line and, mm-hmm. uh, several square miles yeah of territory. and just involved in spending the week just talking about airplanes and and uh, you know I'm looking for more more opportunities to do that uh, you know I spend the day chatting with strangers and I love that uh, yeah, walking up uh, up and down the flight line so uh, yeah I, I'm I'm having a great time it's a lot of fun. <laughs> well before we go anybody have any quick shout outs anything anyone you want to say hi to or something you want to call attention to we gotta wrap this thing up though I, I have one and that's to the uh, the crew over at Aeroshell Square uh, a buddy of mine by the name of Rick Perry uh, is over there. Very good. Um, but that whole crew and Rick and, and whoever is in charge, I, I apologize, I don't know the, the co-chairman's name. And so forth. Thank you. Um, they are responsible for moving, I'm going to punt and say, scores of airplanes. That's true. In and out of that particular geographic area here at Oshkosh each day. They do it efficiently. They do it professionally. They do it without scratching anything. Safely. Safely. And they do it uh, without injuring any pedestrians who, shall we say, might not be cognizant of their surroundings. And uh, I think that's probably the, the, the biggest shout-out we can give here at our Air Venture. I want to – Jeb headed off in the same direction in my brain. What there is of it was ticking along on. And my shout-out is to the 5,000-plus EAA members who come here and volunteer every year mm-hmm. that makes this thing happen. Uh, sometimes we don't always see eye to eye an interpretation of what the rules are supposed to be, but uh, they're always polite, they're always helpful. Place couldn't run without them. Uh, they are truly dedicated people taking their vacation, paying their hard-earned money to come up here and participate and help make it run for the rest of us. So, yeah, it's a to great, the volunteers. Great, great yep. You guys, anything you're going to say hi to? Or well, great to? minds think alike. I, I was thinking just the EAA as an organization, they sponsor this. It's gotten way, way beyond just experimental aircraft, but it is their dedication and love of aviation that keeps this going. And thanks for having me come every year and, and be able to be a part of it. I just can't thank them enough. Randy, anything you want to throw in here? Uh, the uh, the vendor community, uh, interestingly enough, um, I've had uh, I've covered a, a, a number of press conferences um, already, and there seems to be this common theme that that the vendor community is becoming more involved with supporting EAA, and uh, not just in their support of, of coming to Air Venture, but uh, but actually financial support. Um, I heard today of of three additional donations of aircraft for the, for the new aircraft and kits for the purpose wow. of fundraising. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you to, to the entire uh, extended UCAP gang for, for being in here today. Uh, Amy, who had to leave us early, uh, Amy Laboda. Uh, you can learn more about Amy and her work at her, uh, her magazine's website, wai.org slash magazine. Uh, thanks, James, uh, for being here. Always and, uh, a pleasure. Still no website, but uh, Google his name. It's a wild ride. And uh, Randy, I don't know if you have a website. Are you, <laughs> no, what's the name of your trade organization? 
Uh, common, a users group. Yeah. Okay. So if you're if you're a tech guy, that means something to you. If you're not, it's okay. Uh, learn more about Dave Higdon and his work at DaveHigdon.com and uh, Jeb at JebBurnside.com and myself at JackHodgson.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you all again next time. Thanks you to the radio crew here for hosting yes, us. Yeah, very absolutely. much. And, uh, we their, much. their assistance and, and their support. And Thank we'll you. be back on Sunday. Thank you to all our, our new be friends afraid. here at EA Radio. We will be back with another episode, episode number 40, which we'll be recording on Sunday morning, I believe. And... Uh, uh, You've been listening to the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast on EAA Radio. When we're not flying with young eagles, we're listening to EAA Radio. Have you ever been in an airplane? Up above the clouds, there's no rain. Everything's clear and it's a brand new